Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for these pictures that we're getting in this book, in the book of Deuteronomy, where, Lord, strength comes from, joy comes from, worship comes from, Lord, as we're, we're learning about what's important to you. What, what does obedience look like? What are your priorities, Lord? And Father, I, I pray in Jesus' name as, the, as we go through these next two chapters that you will do all those things uh, in our lives, Lord, to strengthen us, to stir up worship in us, Lord joy in us, Lord. I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would do that just by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Moses, right on the west side of the Jordan River, is camped out there with two or three million Israelites after having been 40 years wandering in the wilderness after their deliverance from Egypt. He is now giving them their final charge. And what he's doing is he is repeating a lot of what had been initially given to their parents and perhaps some of them, if they were young lads at the time, the parents having died off by now because of their as a result of the, their rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, in which the Lord told all the adults that they would be uh, falling in the desert and they would not be going into the promised land, uh, except for Caleb and Joshua, of course. So the folks listening now are the children. Uh, they may have heard these words as, as very young children, but now Moses just giving them a charge at this point, militarily, they are capable of going in, but it's not military might that exalts a nation, as we saw at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 17, where Moses gives the charge to future kings of Israel, number one, not to multiply horses for himself. Number two, not to multiply wives. And three, not to multiply silver for himself. And uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, military might that was going to sustain the nation. It was, it was going to be a fear of the Lord, a love of the Lord, obedience to the Lord. And so here again, a continuation in chapter 18. And here, uh, initially here, the focus is on making sure that there is a high priority amongst the people for the spiritual leaders of the country, uh, where the uh, you could call the clergy, the, those in the country that feed the country the word of God. Uh, it's uh, the righteousness 
It's, it's the righteousness of a nation by which they are exalted, the Bible says. So in chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord by fire and his portion. And so uh, the Israelites were given no inheritance. Numbers chapter 18, verse 20 they are uh, not given a portion of the land. The, uh, there is an apportionment that's going to be happening under Joshua to all the tribes other than the tribe of Levi. But uh, the Levites were not to have an inheritance. Uh, it was said, uh, we read that the Lord is their inheritance. And uh, that's uh, Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. Uh, he says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. That there he is speaking to the Levites. And so they were not to be farmers. They were not to be iron workers, merchants, masons. Uh, they were to have to, to be uh, focused on the spiritual health of the country, feeding the country the word of God, teaching them, uh, worshiping Levites, very prominent in, in worship, and of course, what the goings on in the temple. Now, of course, in they were given 48 cities uh, throughout the, uh, the, the land that was being apportioned to the other tribes. They were given 48 city, cities, Levite cities. Around the cities, there were grazing areas where the Levites, uh, they could own cattle. It just wasn't their primary occupation. And uh, so very high priority towards uh, this. Look, Israel, you need to be always make sure your clergy, that class of people who are focused on feeding you, that they are they are strong, they are provided for. And so verse 1 again says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Notice how it says the offerings of the Lord. It doesn't say the offerings of the Levites. So when they were offering up their offerings, uh, their peace offerings, or their tithe, or uh, their fir first fruit offering, which we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, it shouldn't have been in anyone's mind, well, here's my, here's my offering to the Levite. No, it's an offering to the Lord. The same with your offering today that you make at, uh, at the church. Your tithe, your off offering, it's, it's, it's to God. Some of it may be used to uh, pay for the staff um, and, uh, of the church and, and other things uh, necessary for the ongoing operation of the church, but it's to the Lord. Remember years and years ago, uh, speaking to a woman who was upset at her church because her church charged her a fee for performing the wedding ceremony of her daughter. And she was outraged because of the many, many years that she had given uh, to the church. Um, actual, in, in actuality, she was giving to man and not to God uh, because that was 
her attitude. And so uh, it says in verse 2, Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their, their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. Verse 3 says, And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is a bull or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulders, the cheeks, and the stomach. The Verse 4, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil and the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give him. And so uh, for those of you who uh, really like to go deep on these things and Wow, I hope all of you are. But uh, verse 3 would be talking about, for example, peace offerings. In Leviticus chapter 7, there's a portion of the peace offerings that are made uh, at the different feasts. A portion of them are given to the priests. Verse 4 is talking, Exodus 22, about uh, those portions uh, which is actually a, a first fruits offering. There's no, that's out of Exodus 22. There, there, there is no specification of how much of the first fruits of whatever you have uh, is supposed to go to the Levites. Uh, but it is uh, different than the tithe, which is Numbers 18, verse 21, which your entire tithe went to the Levites as well. So uh, verse 3, again, is talking about one kind of offering, which is the portion, Leviticus chapter 7, uh, of the sacrifice that you give, like of a peace offering sacrifice that you give to uh, uh the Lord, which goes to the Levites. The, uh, in verse 4, uh, it's the first fruits offering, Exodus 22, that's an offering to the God that goes to the Levites. And then in verse, uh, uh, and that's not even including uh, Numbers 18.21, which is speaking of the tithe of every all your increase, which is given to the Levites. So important that the uh, your 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 pastors are being supported because they're feeding the flock of God. And one of the sa saddest uh, stories, I think, in the whole Bible, the saddest pictures um, of the whole Bible is in uh, Judges, the book of Judges, where it says, "Let me see where it is." It's in Judges chapter. Uh, 18, Judges chapter uh, 18, 17 and 18, actually, the story of Micah, where this man Micah just hires a Levite who happens to be traveling through his territory. Anytime there are unemployed uh, preachers, that's a problem. Or even preachers who's, uh, you know... Um, whose churches can't support them. Now, I, our Calvary Chapel church planning, church planning at Calvary Chapels is all started with um, preachers and pastors uh, having a secular job. They are bivocational. But if it stays that way forever, that's a, that's a sad state of things. And uh, it's not a healthy thing for uh for a uh, for a nation, 
uh, you know, me, my, in my particular example, it took eight years uh, for the church to be able to afford to, to pay for me. But what a sad thing it is if, if a, a pastor goes his whole life. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a sign, it may be a sign of the weakness of the community of the nation. Uh, nevertheless, those people will get, no doubt, a double reward, uh, th- those kind of pastors. But um, in Judges, uh, one of the saddest verses of the whole Bible is the very last verse in Judges, which 21-25 says, in those days, that is the days of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So uh, they didn't have a need really for uh, priests because they were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And even sadder still, the story of Micah, the he hired the priest to be a priest over pagan idols. So it was really a low, low place. And so here, the Lord is saying to the Israelites, before they get into the promised land, before they cross the Jordan, look, you guys need to remember that you need to be fed spiritually. And to do that, you need to make sure and provide for the Levites. Verse 5 says this, For the Lord has chosen him, meaning the Levites, out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God as all his brethren, the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. So, um, it says that that's speaking. There's an interesting verse actually there, because it's it's saying so. If a Levite comes from one of these forty-eight cities uh, to the to that place which the Lord chooses, speaking of Jerusalem, he's supposed to be given a job there. Now we will see later on. I believe it's it's in David or David and or Solomon where the Levites actually from all over the country are given shifts in Jerusalem to work at the temple. But here it's the provision is really broader. Um, if, if there's a Levite who feels called to go to Jerusalem and serve there, uh, there's actually it's written here in the Mosaic law that the, he is they're required to allow him to go there. So we have not seen that provision of the law before this time in Deuteronomy. But uh, Moses here, uh, there are certain things that the Holy Spirit gave him to add to the law for the protection of the country. Verse 4 has a little subtle difference there. It it speaks of the first of the fleece of your sheep that was not uh, mentioned either uh, earlier in the law. But that was supposed to uh, be a part of uh, the first fruits offering as well. Doesn't mention here in verse four uh, cattle. It just says grain, new wine, oil, and the fleece of sheep. But in Exodus twenty-two, that w- it would have included uh, those what those cowboys had. So the that old uh, musical Oklahoma. Oh, the cowboys and the farmers should be friends. Uh, um, well, it's, there was no preference given uh, to farmers or cowboys here. It was whatever they were raising, and they were required to give the first fruits. Of. Now, that's, again, in addition 
to the tithe. Let's continue here. It says, When you come, verse 9, into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a, sor a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. And so... You know, it's it's interesting that in, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 7, when, you know, critics of the Bible are complaining how in that chapter and other chapters, the Israelites were commanded by God to go in and it actually uses words in Deuteronomy 7, utterly destroy the cities and the inhabitants. Rarely do you, uh, do they bring up uh, these things, which says clearly that the what those people who God is ordering to be utterly destroyed were doing. Well, this is the sin of the Amorites, which the Lord had told Abraham that uh, he was not going to possess the land quite yet because the sin of the Amorites had not reached its fullest. Well, it had by this time they were uh, sacrificing their children in the fire among other things. And so the Lord is saying, do not do those things which the people that I'm driving out are doing. Of course, uh, we're going to be seeing um, Israel do that. And it's going to be the thing which the Lord is would judge them for and ultimately exile them for to Babylon and actually all over the Assyrian Empire. But um, uh, these were the things that they were doing. Now, uh, you may read this and say, well, what application does this have today in the United States of America? Well, you know, I will tell you, it uh, has a lot of application. In fact, here in Boston, uh, just within the last six months, uh, I've had uh, encounters uh, with uh, these very things. And, and uh, there was a, someone in the church whose uh, mother was practicing witchcraft and uh, I was asked to go and visit the mother and uh, the mother and, and, and I told her, I told the mother that she, she needed to leave uh, because uh, she was just a guest in this particular place that she was at and the person whose home it was didn't appreciate that the witchcraft game. Well, within, uh, within uh, a couple um, of days, um, I had some awfully strange encounters on this uh, just as I, I left my house uh, on the street in a different place, another place that I had visited where 
unquestioned demonic attack where Satan was using someone to attack me. Uh, very discouraging until I got a call uh, from some from one of the ladies in the church saying that this woman, this witch that I had talked to, was throwing out sorceries uh, against me, directing them to me. Uh, at that point, everything made sense. In addition to that, only about a month ago, I got a call from another woman, uh, uh, from from a woman in our church who. Uh, said that she had been uh, invited to uh, a party for her f friend's daughter or son, and she showed up at the party, and at the party, they were calling out to the dead. Uh, and, and so this stuff is alive and real. Uh, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's amazing to me uh, that folks will not will will turn to every conceivable thing other than the living God. They will go from thing to thing to thing to thing, uh, but they won't turn to God Himself. And uh, it, it's it's um, it's really such a tragedy. But it shows the hardness of man's heart and the level of his rebellion. Uh, at this time, they're going in. You know the the the. the so much wickedness is going on in this land that they are going into. Uh, it, it amazes me sometimes the complete blindness of of people who experiment in these things. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I visited a doctor, and she was telling me how, uh, actually, proudly, I'm sad to say, how her daughter had spent the summer uh, a year in the with the shamans. Uh, in an area of the, the Amazon jungle. And um, I was thinking to myself, I didn't know the doctor very well at all, but I was thinking to myself just how crazy that is when if you go to these areas, which I have, there's so much poverty, there's so much um, tragedy, the lifespan often doesn't go beyond the 30s or 40s. There's uh, cannibalism. There's uh, just murder uh, amongst the tribes, the competing tribes. And yet uh, Americans, in all their very educated uh, sophistication, uh, they, uh, they feel like experimenting with that stuff is is uh, just, uh, you know, uh, a cool thing to do and uh, even an enlightened thing to do. Well, it's not. Actually, what it's called here is an abomination uh, by the Lord. And it says, because, verse 12, because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. It says, the Lord your God has not appointed you for such things. Praise the Lord for that. We should praise God for that. We shouldn't be complaining about some of these uh, borders that the Lord has put up in our lives there to protect us and protect us from Satan himself, who's uh, actually, uh, is, it's a fact. He can disguise himself as an angel of light, and there's some power in, 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 the, in some of these, uh, what some of these sorcerers do. Someone may cry, well, who do we cry out to if we can't cry out uh, to a sorcerer? How about the living God? Uh, it says in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 
5, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So uh, that is what, uh, who we cry out to. We cry out to the one true living God. First John 3.22 says, this is First John 3.22, it says, uh, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Uh, oh, how great our confidence can be going to the Lord. We certainly don't need to be going to sorcerers and those who call up the dead. Anyway, let's uh, continue. Uh, Verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Or, or you could also translate it, Him you shall listen to. Him you shall obey. Verse 16, According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And so, uh, who might this be? Who might this be that the Lord is, uh, that rather that Moses is referring to, and he's saying that the Lord is going to raise up uh, another prophet after me. And to that, I answer that, I just have to go to uh, Acts chapter 3. This is Peter speaking. People have run together after the uh, miracle where he uh, looks at the beggar who had been uh, begging uh, for years and years. He was, a lame, he was lame from his mother's womb and he saw this beggar, he and, he and John, and it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 3 that Peter fixed his eyes on the beggar with John and said to the beggar, look at us. Verse 5 says, so he, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he did, and all kinds of people came and uh, to marveling at, at, at what had happened because many of them knew this man and the miracle couldn't be denied. So uh, Jesus, uh, Peter starts preaching to them. Verse 12 of Acts 3, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Then he goes on and he says in uh, verse 22, speaking of Jesus, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, speaking of the same verse in Deuteronomy 18, 15, 
a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the peoples. And so uh, there you have it. The prophet that um, Moses was speaking about was none other than Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Islamic people believe that um, Muhammad is the prophet, but uh, you would do well to show them these verses uh, which, uh, in which uh, Peter is, is quoting here. And Islamic, Islamic people will argue sometimes that the, the Bible is corrupted, but others of them do have a reverence. They are commanded in the Quran to have a reverence, even for the New Testament. But um, here it is, and it's not only there, because it is also in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen says to the Sanhedrin, this is what Moses, who said to the children, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation of the wilderness, the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles given to us. And so that too, speaking of Jesus. And so this prophet, it's not Samuel. In fact, in fact, Peter distinguishes the other prophets from the prophet there in Acts chapter 3. It's not Samuel, it's not Elijah, it's not Elisha, it's not Isaiah, it's not Jeremiah, it's not Daniel, it's not Ezekiel. It is none other than Jesus Christ. If you remember at the time of Jesus, um, where the John the Baptist was baptizing, the Pharisees would go up to him and said, Are you the prophet? So it, it, the, the Jews at the time were very well familiar with this verse in verses in uh, Deuteronomy that a, a prophet would be raised up. And that prophet was different uh, than the prophets in the Old Testament. He was the Messiah. Are you the prophet? If I could just look at something very briefly here. So it could be, as I'm looking there at John chapter 1, that they did not recognize the prophet from Deuteronomy 18 as the Messiah. It's unclear from those verses. If you want to look yourself in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, it's a little unclear from those verses. Um, actually, it looks like it's clear from 25. It says there, it says that the, the Pharisees asked him, saying, Why then do you not baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So um, at the time of Jesus, they didn't necessarily think the prophet was the Christ, though, in fact, we know from the book of Acts chapter 3 that he was, in fact, so the prophet and the Messiah would be the same one. Nevertheless, um, the Israelites were on the lookout for the prophet. It says there uh, in verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak 
speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if a thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And so though we are in the old, we're rather we're in the new covenant, we're not in the old covenant, we're not under this covenant in which uh, this uh, law is given that you need to uh, put to death someone who prophesies something and it does not come to pass. At a minimum, this verse should give, give us a very healthy fear of God. I, I, I shudder from time to time where when I see in the body of Christ those um, up speaking for uh, seemingly speaking and giving very specific prophecies, uh, very specific prophecies, and the prophecies do not come to pass. And I think uh, God is still Himself judging. I believe uh, people like that. They will be chastened for for doing that. But we're not in this covenant anymore where they're put to death. But uh, we would do well um, to be very very careful saying, thus saith the Lord, when it comes to a predictive prophecy that is a prophecy in the future. Chapter 19 says, when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourselves in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I thought Numbers chapter 35 said there were six cities. It did, but Moses has already appointed three cities for east, or rather for the west side of, is it the east or the west? <laughs> it's the east. For the east side of the Jordan, he has already appointed uh, three cities, and so there they're in the east side right now, about to go into the west, cross the Jordan. And he's saying, you remember to uh, appoint three of those cities as cities of refuge. You sh so It's so important, verse 3, it says that you shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts that the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. And, it, and this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor un, unintentionally, not having hated him in, in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings the stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he has not hated the victim in time past. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall separate three cities for yourself. 
And so we've uh, he, we have seen this in, in Numbers chapter 35. And, and this just does a good thing for your soul if you just sit and reflect upon these verses. Moses doesn't choose to re- repeat everything from, you know, the Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Just certain areas, just really emphasizing them. And, and one is, wow, does the Lord really, is he really sensitive or what? to the shedding of innocent blood. Uh, He's dedicating all this ink here in Deuteronomy towards this. I mean, we may look at this today and say, oh, this archaic thing, this is is old, it's an anachronism. What does that have to do today? Well, it has everything to do with this fact. God still loathes the killing of innocent blood. And how much more when it's the killing of innocent blood where uh, there's a situation where someone mistakenly kills someone so they're being intentionally killed uh, even though they're, they're well they're being intentionally killed so in these situations where uh, someone is negligently uh, perhaps even uh, he, he pushes someone down they're having a playful wrestling match or something and, and and the person is killed or the example here given is that a, an axe head flies off the handle and kills someone god doesn't want that person put to death and at the time the relatives uh, uh would uh would try to avenge the blood well there were six cities uh appointed in israel uh, for these people to go and for uh, them to to be protected there and they would be protected there. And so important um, was the shedding of that God didn't want innocent blood to be to be shed. It does say there now. If verse eight says now, if the, the, here's a interesting um, expansion of the earlier law in verse eight. Now the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers. And if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. So this is interesting. Moses had already appointed three cities uh, in the east of the Jordan. He was telling them, you get to the west of the Jordan, you're going to do three more. But if the Lord really prospers you and he enlarges your territory as he promised, then you're going to do three more. So Here's what's going on here in Numbers chapters 34. Moses gave them this specific area of land that more or less mirrors what we know of modern-day Israel in which they would be occupying the 12 tribes of Israel. But then, and if you remember in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, the Lord, promised him land all the way to the river, speaking of the Euphrates. And the Lord says, look, if, 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 that, if you obey the Lord, and and that comes to pass, Uh, so important is this shedding of innocent blood thing, I want you to appoint three new cities. And so, although it is true, it does appear to be true that under David and Solomon, 
they expanded to that land. They, it's, it's unclear, I guess I should say, whether uh, this was followed, that three other cities of refuge were placed amongst that actually very large territory, because that would have been a, a huge expansion. Uh, it could be that they were, uh, but I do not believe there's any reference uh, to that in the Bible. Verse 11 says, But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally, so that he dies, he and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. And so the key word here is the word hate. Um, so if there was a situation where there was an unintentional killing where the person who unintentionally killed someone can prove there was, look, I never hated this person. We have a history of being friends or I didn't know this person. There's no evidence whatsoever that I ever hated him. Uh, then he'd be able to stay in one of these cities. But if the Avenger of Blood showed up and said, hey, look, this guy has had a running feud with the guy he killed for years and years. Well, in that case, the elders of the city would throw him out and protect the integrity of the uh, cities of refuge. They weren't supposed to be harboring murderers. So the cities of refuge uh, could be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, although we know that uh, Jesus Christ is so much more because he's a refuge not only to people who are uh, not guilty, uh, or who have unwittingly committed acts um, that may warrant uh, guilt to those who are flagrantly guilty, including murderers. Jesus is our refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And Jesus is that strong tower. It says of the person who tries to take refuge in a city who uh, killed someone out of hate, verse 13, your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. You shall not, and so then goes on to a, a new subject here. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So uh, we'll see in Joshua uh, that uh, there's going to be people appointed. Well, we've, we, I think we've already seen this. There's going to be people who are appointed to uh, apportion out the land in Joshua. It's actually going to happen. And once those markers were set, that was it. And uh, the, it was uh, really affixed here in the word of God. You could... And, and to, to, to move those uh, was um, a serious offense here, we see. Verse 15, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The matter shall be established. So uh, Moses here, he is uh, really uh, emphasizing the importance of the judicial system uh, a, a judicial system that has integrity by the mouth of two or three witnesses. I was just in John chapter 18 last Sunday morning where Jesus is being questioned by the high priest Annas. 
it says in verse 19 of that chapter that uh, Annas questioned him about, about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus answered him, verse 20, and said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Now, that verse may catch you a little off guard because you may think, well, why is Jesus talking like this to the high priest? I mean, he's, he's basically saying, don't ask me, ask, ask others. Uh, well, if you are familiar with the Jewish laws on trial, and not only was that trial by Jew, the Jewish Mishnah, which is the extra biblical Jewish law at the time, prohibit a trial during the night or during a feast. Both, uh, in both of those were the case in John 18. Uh, most importantly, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, there had to be two or three witnesses. Witnesses, In other words, this was secret kind of trial here without witnesses was illegal. And so uh, with that, it makes all the sense in the world why Jesus was, was responding, responding the way he did. Of course, we know in verse 22, one of the officers of the high priest struck him in the struck him in the face. Appears to be in the face. We know from prophecy, Micah chapter five, verse one prophesies that. And Jesus responds to him, saying, verse 23: If I have done uh, spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. In other words, if I've done something wrong, tell me what I've been wrong. But if I've done good, why do you strike me? And so uh, he's able to. Uh, answer with complete self-control. Only Jesus, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, can not be provoked to anger. But back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 15, or rather chapter 19, verse 15, the requirement of two or three witnesses. Verse 16, uh, if a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days, and the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have uh, done to his brother, so you shall put away the evil from among you. In other words, if it's a false witness and they were trying to put the person to death, the false witness was, uh, the person being uh, falsely accused was, of course, to go free, but the false witness was actually uh, supposed to have the same penalty as the, that he was uh, trying to frame someone with. If it was death, it was death. Of course, the, uh, the chief priests and the, and the others who were prosecuting Jesus and listening to false witnesses didn't crucify all those false witnesses, but uh, uh, that's a, another matter, another sermon for another day. Uh, but again, the protecting the integrity of the judicial system. Verse 20, and those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not commit such evil among you. So the integrity of the judicial system, the gravity of being a false witness uh, under oath, really, really serious stuff. Again, I've said this in times past that my travels to developing countries, it's the institutions of government, including the justice system, which um, are so lacking that the country, uh, the, the foreign investors won't come into the country. It's, it's, 
but it's institutions, when the institutions, the government institutions, including the judiciary, uh, have the um, confidence of the people, that's when uh, uh, the, the country begins to thrive for an investment is able to come in. Verse 21 ends, this is talking about a false witness, your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I personally am very glad to be under the new covenant. Okay, we'll begin in chapter 20 next time. Until then, God bless you.